Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I can never remember anyone's name in this except for Laser Wolf. Because whenever they say Laser Wolf, I picture a wolf that shoots lasers out of its eyes. (laughs) And why wouldn't he? I think the musical would be improved a hundredfold if Tevye was trying to betroth his daughter to a wolf with lasers a wolf with lasers who was also a butcher and then the daughter was like but i don't want to and tevye was like but this is a butcher like, but he's a wolf papa and then the wolf runs around and goes ah, ah, ah. that's a great wolf impression well i hope you're listening revival Will somebody get us another drink i do before we start jimmy we got feedback we got lots that, of feedback this time, which is good. We got. Hold on, I'm, I want to pull it up because there was one thing I made a mistake. Maybe. What did you do? I know, I know. Um, in our last podcast, when we were talking about the 2005 revival of Sweeney Todd, yes, and we're talking about all of them playing their instruments, and we were talking. I made some comment about how, even if you think they sound reduced on the. St- studio recording yeah that is even studio musicians playing there and i think i got that wrong so it was the actual lecture musicals that were playing well i haven't been able to find any confirmation either way either way of- which would lead me to believe it is the actors playing yeah if it was studio mu- musicians they would have been credited on the back of the cd which is something i checked exactly that's um, true I, I tweeted about this and i still can't find it for the life of me i have a distinct memory of like a Broadway bonnet parody con concert. It's like, and if anyone on the internet has found this, please send it my way because it's hilarious. It's, I could only imagine it be from a bonnet. I can't think why else they would have done it. It's something in my mind. It's a little more professionally filmed than a bonnet, but I'm not sure. And the whole conceit of it, it's like Michael Severus and Patti Lapone, and they're all like doing the thing, complaining about how hard it is to play. 
and they get to the very end of it and it's like the sorry oh sorry and like then the lights go wrong and it's all it's all about how they can't play the music it's out there somewhere yeah who knows it's but it who knows so well hopefully someone who's listening knows hopefully michael severus is listening I, he's a, he's a big fan. But I, I, I was actually quite happy with a lot of the other feedback that we got. Please keep giving us it, because it helps. <laughs> if you have feedback about this episode, you should head over to jimantomic.com and click through to the Reddit, where you too can discuss this podcast. What's going on there? We're very active. <laughs> we are very active. And I have it on my phone, which is something I swore never to do. Oh no, pooping will never be the same. Yeah, it's changed my whole <laughs> life. Everyone's favorite Jewish musical, Fiddler on the Roof. See, and I, everything I read starts, you know, everyone's favorite Jewish musical. And while I, I don't debate that it is a musical about... <laughs> I, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yes, yes, it is a Jewish musical. Yeah. But just, that's like calling Hamilton a biography of Alexander Hamilton. Exactly. Well, you know, that's what I said it was. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But no, obviously, yeah, that that's on the surface. But we're going to dig. We are. We're going to dig into that fiddler. Get out your shovels. <laughs> that's, that makes sounds kind of weird. Makes it sound real weird. So you've, you, you've seen Fiddler. I have seen Fiddler. Have you seen Fiddler? <laughs> I saw... <laughs> I have seen one production of Fiddler on the Roof. I went back and looked, performed by a Catholic school. Well, there you go. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, my university did it, and a, a lot of my friends were were involved, mm. and it was it was very good. Did they? I always wonder this. Did anyone have Scottish or English accents in it? Great question. Um, <laughs> I don't think so. Do you know this is an interesting thing about theatre mm. um, yeah. in Scotland? And the UK. The fact that we grew up on American TV. Actually, everyone's quite good at doing American accents, comparatively to yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. your guys' efforts at, at Scottish accents. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure someone will tell me I'm completely wrong, and, and please do, because it's feedback. Uh, <laughs> but I think Scottish people in general are just better at, at doing accents because no, no one speaks Scottish on TV. Mm. You know I mean? Every now and then, you'll get one person... But for yeah. the most part, everyone's speaking a different accent and kind of our, our generation who's, who's grown up on TV and, and, and YouTube and things like that. I think we just, it's a synthesis thing and osmosis. And so, and so would people, I guess what I'm, I'm getting at and what I'm wondering is because Fiddler on the Roof is, as you said, everyone's favorite Jewish musical, but not everyone in it is Jewish. And that I came across a couple articles, a couple reviews that were critical of people playing Tevia, people playing various people and not being Jewish, and that's an interesting perspective to me. It is, it is, because it's really, it's at the heart, especially Tevia, it's at the, well, no, everyone, to be honest with you, yeah. um, it's at the heart of it. I, I don't know, I guess, is it just, do you need to be Jewish? Do you just need to really be devout in faith to, to understand, mm. you know, what's going on in their head? Right. The counter argument is that, you know, Andrew Rannells isn't Mormon, and as we've expounded upon far too much as hamilton has proved it doesn't matter at the end of the day but a lot of people have a lot to say about 
that in Fiddler on the Roof, and it was not something I was expecting to come across. No. Well, okay, so let's let's take a look at the revival. I'm going to jump straight in. Excellent. <laughs> so let's the, do it. the preview start today. Obviously, not mm-hmm. today when you're listening. This is the this is the Broadway revival we're talking. This yeah. is the 2015 Broadway revival. Kind of looking through the cast. A, a lot of them, I'd say maybe the majority, are Jewish. In kind of their their segments and interviews and things from workshops, they talk a lot about kind of what it means to them to be able to perform this musical. And I, I love that. I think that's amazing. And mm. that's mm-hmm. obviously one of the, the reasons why Fiddler is so huge and, and well-known is because it it really just provided a, an amazing voice for a community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that not isn't necessarily featured as i don't know as uh, i want to say like literally it embodies a set of traditions and a time in history and a feeling in history that i think is not represented in other art forms and one that is absolutely worth remembering as as showcased in fiddler's success i'm also really panicking that i'm gonna offend There's, a lot of people, yes but... and i you know i think it is it, it is important to try not to offend people on the internet and also important to remember that people on the internet are easily offended by things you never expect. Exactly. And so, sorry to those of you we accidentally... <laughs> For example, Helena Bottom Carter. <laughs> I'm sorry, Helena Bottom Carter. Tumblr.com is god.com slash we love yep. Helena Bottom Carter fans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Zing. Anyway. We were talking about the revival. We're talking about the revival, and we're talking about the cast. Danny Burstein, Jessica Heck, Adam Cantor, I can't remember the one playing Zaitl, but I think she's also Jewish. A, a lot of them speak about how, when they were younger, it was such a huge part of of their lives, you know? And it, it's, it's so nice, obviously, for them to be able to, I guess, give something back. Because it is a, it's a show that really does mean a lot to a lot of people. But I think, interestingly, it, it kind of resonates with me. I'm not Jewish in any way. No, it's a show that means a lot to me too, and I'm not Jewish either. Yeah, it's, it's, there's, it, is it the reverence of it? I don't know. There's something about it which just makes me think, it, it, yeah, it just, it find it really emotional. With Fiddler on the Roof, as much as it is a musical about Jewish tradition and Jewish life, it's a musical about changing Jewish tradition and changing Jewish life. And that, I think, is, speaks to a lot of people on a lot of different levels because whether or not Mm. you identify with the particularities of it you can absolutely identify with the here's the way i thought my life was and now slowly but bit by bit everything i knew was right is now changing that's the almost the take-home message isn't it it isn't just yay judaism it's look at how you can be affected by these issues it feels like a story of perseverance which is never a word i would have previously even thought to associate with it but more i think about it it's true should we chat briefly about what it is for people who haven't come across it do you think a lot of people will not listen to fiddler on the roof well i mean so we should talk about what fiddler on the roof is and then i want to talk about why i think it would be impossible to find someone who hasn't seen fiddler on the roof i mean i do know some people that have not seen it that's crazy so we should talk about that but fiddler on the roof for those who don't know is about tevia the milkman milkman Yep. In the town of Anatevka 
in like Eastern Europe. Exactly. I'm. I bet you it's somewhere more specific in Russia, in Anatevka, it just around the turn of the last century. It's. It's literally, and it's funny that you've just done Ragtime as your show of the week, <laughs> but it's the prequel. It is the prequel to Ragtime. ragtime. Yeah. And in, in many ways, it, it is, which I think is. Inter- it's almost quite interesting to watch them as like a back to back, almost that you can imagine that Tata from Ragtime. Is- come from Anatevka and is Tevia from from Fiddler. So Tevia the milkman has five daughters? He has five altogether, yeah. Three of which are are of marriageable age. <laughs> yeah. And the marrying tradition of the time is that your daughter is basically given away or set up with her future husband, her fiance, her husband to be. And because Tevia is a poor milkman, it is important that to him at least that his daughters marry rich or marry into success so that they can be prosperous. But of course, since times are changing, they want to marry into love, Jimmy. Love. Which is beautiful, isn't it? That's a nice sentiment, marrying for love. It is. And then hilarity ensues. And then also complete tragedy (laughs) ensues. I think more tragedy ensues than (laughs) hilarity, actually. Yeah. It is not a funny musical. It's funny in small parts. Yeah, little pockets of fun. But by and large, especially Act (sighs) 2... Is not funny. That act too. I mean... What a swing! Don't want to give away spoilers, but that is not happy. And also, that's really good that it's not happy. Because in the 60s, when this musical was first performed, people were used to happy endings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think it's really interesting. The, the writing in Fiddler... You can hear it right from the get-go, right from the overture. Obviously, it's really stylistic towards kind of the, the Klezmer traditional Jewish music, but it rings of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Absolutely. You just think, ah, Golden Age, great, love it. And then it just takes a turn. It's like, this is fun, here's all these fun, happy songs, everyone's dancing, and zinc, sorry. It is interesting to me because I don't think the specific ending of Fiddler on the Roof is terribly tragic. There is definitely a sparkle of hope. Yeah. That's the thing, is you're not meant to think, oh, right, off off the go to die. (laughs) From what I've read, these stories that this musical is based on, Mm -hmm. everyone except Tevia does die. Really? And so they absolutely made a decision to create a slightly more hopeful ending. Holy moly. Of the surviving daughters, Tevia and wife, not surviving daughters, unmarried daughters. Yep. (laughs) Tevia and Golda (laughs) to travel off to greener pastures maybe tells your thoughts about marriage doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about this before but structure is one of the things i love about musical theater and the first question with fiddler on the roof is who is the protagonist the easy answer is tevia yep i bet you that's the most successful answer what holds me back from saying that 100 percent usually in the structure of a piece of musical theater The first song, or the first beat of a song at least, sometimes it's one or two songs, is exposition about the location and the place and like all the all the backstory setting stuff. And then usually the very next song is the character introduction song or I want song of the protagonist. Yep. But after tradition comes Matchmaker Matchmaker. And then we get If I Were a Rich Man, Tevia's I Want song. So I think there would be an argument to be made that the protagonist is some kind of amalgamation of Tevia's daughters. The reason this is important, to me at least, is because Tevia does not get what he wants. The daughters do. Um, 
I'm gonna disagree. Okay. And but just I'm gonna disagree because mm. Chava, mm. who I would argue doesn't really get what she wants. Yeah. Because again, I don't want to spoil, but oh, stuff it! I'm spoiling. If you haven't listened to Fiddler, pause this. Go listen to Fiddler. Yeah, exactly. Chava doesn't get what she wants because obviously at the end she she's like begging her dad. Please acknowledge this and give me your blessing. I know. Is, do you think mm-hmm. him saying "God be with you" is giving a blessing? No, I th- I think th- it is a musical of watching Tevia's love is the wrong word because he certainly doesn't love and adore all of the traditions he's stuck with. But watching his grasp on the traditions around him slowly erode. Yeah, and it's represented by how each of his marrying daughters pushes him that one step further. Yeah, and. It is with Hava, I think, where he says, absolutely no more. This is where I draw the line. And if you don't have that, then a lot of the musical is for naught. Because part of the traditions that we're seeing go away is the tradition of the daughter listening to the father. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that traditional family structure erode before our eyes. In the musical, the stage production, Mm -hmm. how similar is that to... The film. As far, it's been a I've never had the chance to see them close enough back to back to look at it in detail. But as far as I know, they are almost exactly similar in structure and style and uh, layout. Certainly, the, the big commentaries and differences between the two is how fleshed out the setting is of the production. But that's like any other movie. The only big, big change that has really happened in this show has been the replacement of The Rumor with a song called Topsy Turvy. I knew Topsy Turvy that was in the show I saw. I only recently had heard The Rumor. I think Topsy Turvy is a better song. I saw The Rumor. They both serve basically the same purpose. I don't think either of them are in the film. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. It's kind of a misplaced song in Act 2. It Both of them kind of take a break from the line of the action, I think. Because by the time we're in Act 2, we don't care that much about Anatevka at large. We really just care about Tevia's family. And the rumor... Oh, I, I, oh my god, I so disagree. Really? <laughs> yeah. How... But, the, but the ending, you don't care about Anatevka? I care about Anatevka as, as a whole, as a symbolism of this thing. I don't care about the specifics of these rumors that... that everyone is spreading about where the the married children have gone off to oh right so that's like anatevka politics you, right you're not exactly into. i don't i no, don't you care don't, you don't think off you go right you know yeah. be ready no, 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 off no. you go have I, fun. I think anatevka <laughs> the idea is is kind of what a lot of this musical is about i think okay okay anatevka good. the the conglomeration of people is one that post cycle's wedding we don't care that much about yeah Okay, well, the reason... I've just done a little bit of mini-research. Yeah. The reason that I asked about with with Hava was the ending. So, like, the very, very end. Right. When she comes back. Mm-hmm. And just of that final, like, please give me your blessing. Yeah. And he still doesn't. No. Really. In a way, it's so ambiguous. Right. What happened? And I'm just going to completely spoil the end. Basically, what happens is Hava comes back. Basically, she has married a Russian... It, it, basically, he's not... He's not Jewish. Yeah, he's not. He's certainly not Tevia's choice at all. 
anything he'd be okay with. So he he is a, he's a Christian boy, and this is obviously huge sacrilege, especially in that time. And they, that I, I I can almost sympathize. <laughs> just beyond being sacrilegious, like it's it's the enemy. We have seen these people cause awful awful things to happen in this town and history. Yeah, so that's who she chooses. Really smart choice there, Hava. And like you said earlier, Teddy doesn't give the blessing at all. He's given it to his other two daughters after a little bit of persuading. And so she, he basically says that she's dead to them as a family. She is, she is no longer their daughter. She comes back right at the end just to see once more. I mean, to say goodbye and, and, and to see, can you give us a blessing? And he just ignores her. And it's her older sister, Seitel, who says goodbye. And then Tevi just kind of says under his breath, God be with you. It's like a prompt to say, like Zaito will say, God, God be with you. But he do- he doesn't say it to her. Yeah. So in my very roundabout, this 20 minute long argument, Hava, I don't think, gets what she wants. Because I think what she wants is to be happily and, you know, blessedly married. She asks for Tevi's acceptance and he doesn't ever really give that. Right. It would come down to the semantics of whether or not God be with you counts as a blessing. But because he doesn't say it to her. Right. It, and it, it is very cold. It's very much how you play it. It would come in the nonverbals. I think I bet you you could play it either way. Yeah, so that's why I that's why I think Tevye <laughs> is the protagonist. In the end, I do think Tevye is more the protagonist. But I think talking about the placement of Matchmaker is a good point to make. If we swap Rich Man and Matchmaker around, what would that do? So what is interesting about Rich Man is it is not... None of the things Tevye talks about are his daughters. He wants success for him and his wife in life and it's really him complaining about not having had it which makes it a really interesting i want song in the grand scheme of things and then the rest of the show is not about tevya becoming a rich man it's about him setting his or attempting to set his children up to become financially successful or at least financially stable it feels like a a sideways backdoor i want song because clearly it is setting up his motivation for these things it wouldn't make any sense if he didn't sing this beforehand. But I think if we don't see the daughters first, uh-huh. then we don't get the sidewaysness of it. We don't get that this is not an I want song about what Tevye wants for himself. It is an I want song about what Tevye wants for his family. So in a way, it is the perfect placement because they are his motivation. Mm-hmm. They are what he does everything in the movie I'm calling it a movie so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it last night <laughs> so it's so fresh in my head I think a lot more people know the movie I also think the touring production that most people have seen has Topple in it like it is the movie I, I am sorry internet I am a, a Zero Mustel fan over Topple I think Topple's great that's fine but I think Zero is fabulous he is fat and by definition he is just a fabulous man <laughs> did you enjoy the so the the story goes at least did you enjoy the coloring of the movie like the the whole color palette of the whole thing yes it's kind of got this ragged subtle sepia brown tone to it all yeah very very slight sepianess the story goes that either the director said to someone or someone said to the director pointing at a woman's nylons like a woman's brown old nylons that is the color I want this movie to be. And so the director went out, bought a pair of the nylons, and filmed the majority of the movie through the stretched out fabric of 
a brown nylon. You're kidding me. Really? Yeah. I'm not sure how true that is, but that is at least how the story goes. And apparently that is what contributes to a lot of that kind of very old timey brownish orangish looking feel to the whole thing it it feels so historical it's great but i think as well even and and this is something because i i want to go away from just talking about the movie because that's not what we are but it's something that is a feature of the story is that it starts in spring and then it ends in winter and that's perfect really because it starts happy and life and hooray and then ends in bleak (laughs) yeah well it 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 embodies the change that we see throughout the show, which is awesome. And the sort of thing you can do with a movie musical adaptation. And a lot of the problems I end up having with a lot of musical to screen adaptations is the changes they make or the, the ways they decide this clearly wouldn't work on screen. If you hold the script and the libretto right next to each other, they're almost exactly the same. Yeah, exactly. It really, really honors the story and and just evokes the story in so many wonderful and exciting ways. Which I think is testament to the writing of the original show. I think it's got one of the best books of, of a musical that exists. And even what I find so interesting about... So Fiddler on the Roof, as much as it is about historical Judaism... It is also about historical Broadway in its kind of meta existence. And in every script you ever find or any sort of paper items you receive about this, Jerome Robbins is credited in a box on the front of the things as saying original direction and choreography by Jerome Robbins. And it hasn't changed. The 2015 revival is marketed as based on the original direction and choreography. But Mm -hmm. very interesting point about that. So the rights are up. Jerry is no more. Really? That yes, yeah, so they've got a new choreographer in. Wow. He is uh from Israel and basically grew up dancing, being taught traditional, you know, Israeli and and um dances. So in terms of his influence, there's probably no one better. And what I think Bart the the director has asked him to do is to really make it as not not naturalistic but as as real as as kind of as pure as possible while still remaining very kind of raw and visual and what i'm so excited about is jerry robbins is so prescriptive in his choreography if you just look at his choreography manuals they're ridiculous it's great but it's his lovely ego splashed on the page yeah. um, i could go on for hours about <laughs> jerry robbins you know for like things like west i think west's story the choreography of that is much more well known than the choreography of fiddler you, you think west's story you think the choreography you can see every single move that they do. I'm so excited to see something new. Exactly. I trust this guy implicitly. Um, I've I've had a look at some of his stuff, and I think I'll probably put some in the show notes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such an interesting style that he's got, and it is a very kind of contemporary style. I think it will be a nice little bit of new energy to bring to the show. It'll be a nice refresher because I do think I think a lot of people see Fiddler on the Roof because they've seen fiddler on the roof a lot of people go to the theater to watch it again and then they want to see exactly the same thing they've done but we're 60 years later it's nice to have the opportunity for something different just based on the shows we've talked about even on this podcast so far nothing has gotten the play time that fiddler on the roof has gotten you know it is still the what the 16th longest playing broadway production Yep. It was the first to pass 3,000 performances like it was a record breaker when it started and then has been revived four times already on Broadway. Mm. So 
it's been performed a bazillion times. It's It's gone on so many tours. And so there are so many subtle things to talk about. And it is a show that in its revival does not get rewritten like a lot of other revivals do. Yeah. It's a show where when they revive it, you wonder if they reach into the closet where they keep all the old costumes and pull them out again. They're like, we're going to do Fiddler again. Rodgers and Hammerstein were almost the composers on this show. The composer lyricist. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. They approached the idea of translating the Tevye and his daughters and Tevye the Dairyman stories into a musical. And it, it was almost a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Wow. Based on, I think, I think the stories were adapted into a play first and they were considering adapting that. But nope, never happened. Now we have this. And, and I'm fine with that. I think it's great. Don't, don't mess with the jab. Don't, don't mess, <laughs> don't with, mess the with the jab. But everyone does. So as much as this is what I love about Fiddler on the Roof, as much as no one changes the core story of Fiddler on the Roof, everyone parodies Fiddler on the Roof. I know. And they are, I love them. Do you not? Um, I don't know. I'm such a purist. <laughs> uh, have you seen It's One of the Easter Bonnets? Avenue is it the Avenue Q? The yeah. Avenue Jew one. I'll give you that. Oh, it's, <laughs> that is what I want my parody to be because it is bigger than than both things combined. You get some jokes if you understand one piece. You get some jokes if you understand the other piece. If you understand both of them, you get more than twice as many jokes. I love it so much. I I'll give you the Avenue Q one. <laughs> it's for listeners who don't know and are searching through the show notes for this thing during the Easter Bonnet in like 2005, maybe when Fiddler on the Roof and Avenue Q were both playing on Broadway. The casts of both got together and did a smash up of both of their musicals yeah. with Jewish puppets, and it's very funny. It's very funny. Laser Wolf gets married to the gay puppet. Yeah. In a way, it was authentic to Avenue Q, so <laughs> I can still keep my purist status. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one, and I, I wonder why it does get parodied so much. Because it's Broadway legend. Fiddler on the Roof, for a long time, was Broadway. As excited as people are about Hamilton nowadays, I imagine the buzz was equally as livid about Fiddler on the Roof. Like, it smashed records. You know, it, it held its record for a decade as the longest-running show before Greece came around, which is a little unfortunate. <laughs> but another all right. topic for another show. Exactly. I was reading an interview with Jessica Hecht, who is playing Golda in the revival. And interestingly, I think this is her first Broadway musical. She was Tony nominee for A View From A Bridge, the Scarlett Johansson one. In my head, it shows that the director is taking, I guess, the acting side of the show really seriously. And I think that's something that is so crucial to Fiddler. It is almost Chekhovian. I mean, obviously it's not written by Chekhov, but it's kind of the historical accuracy, the weight of what they're dealing with is heavy. And it's not something you can do trivially. You need to do your research and you really need to be a very good actor. Absolutely. But anyway, she was doing an interview with Danny Burstein. It was to a, a Japanese journalist. They were just kind of basically talking about the story of it and, and what it means to them and things like that. Um, and the journalist started crying and they were like, uh, what's going on here? And she's basically saying that the story and, and what they lived in those days, the tradition and, and everything, it resonates so well with her because she's like, that is quintessential 
Japanese family. And I thought, well, that's fascinating. There's something I was reading about the, I think it was the film, having a really, really large impact in Japan. Yeah, Japan is huge. It's absolutely huge. And like really unexpectedly too. But it makes sense when you think about it a little more. And I, I don't really know much about Japanese tradition, but I know a bit about Fiddler, so I can I can imagine... You can extrapolate it. Exactly. Well, and that, if anything, demonstrates the this is appealing to people who don't come from this particular realm of tradition. You can draw parallels as well, I'm sure, to Hindi tradition, and maybe less so almost with kind of Catholic tradition, I guess. I mean, I think it, it just comes at different time periods. I can draw relations to this with my turn of the millennium family upbringing and traditions that my parents had that they were upset that I didn't have. I th I really and truly think it is very, very easy to insert all sorts of different contemporary parallels, changes, parallels, exactly, yeah. into this show, which is why it is so appealing and i think that is why it's important to never update it with those things because once you start expounding on it literally then you don't have that separation to think about it from your life perspective but if all of a sudden fiddler on the roof was a story of a, a contemporary non-religious man and his three daughters who he wanted to betroth to husbands, but they're all like, father, I'm a lesbian, and that's the difference they're making, like, I don't think would be as relatable because you don't have the distance. Mm -hmm. There's something wonderful about drawing this connection, saying like, see all this stuff happening in 1905? It's also happening in 2015. Is it's almost like a parable. It is absolutely a parable. I think the... The parable of the milkman and his daughters. That's what it would be called. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it is. It was called Tevia and his daughters or Tevia the dairyman. I mean, I think there is something about the show that is 100% parabolic. That's not... I know, is that the, that isn't the right one because that means something different. Well, it's what we're going to use. Parabolic. Parabolicious. Can we go for parabolicious? It's a parabolicious story. But like that feels like oral tradition. And it is oral tradition in, in, a, in so many ways on so many meta levels. Like not only is it Jewish oral tradition, it is Broadway oral tradition. It is now kind of an American oral tradition. It, mm. it is a British oral tradition. It's wonderful that this, this really, really old story has survived in such a fleshed out and culturally significant way. That was beautifully put. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. It makes up for the poop joke I made earlier. Exactly. <laughs> you're you're forgiven. The productions we both have seen have been done by schools. But why? So yeah, why is it? Why is that? I think some of the simpler things that make a show popular with schools are uh -huh. name recognition. Because you want the kids and the parents to be excited about it, and nothing has more name recognition than Fiddler on the Roof. Maybe not nothing, but it's up there with Grease and, like, old, old stalwarts of musical theater. Even if you don't know musicals, you've heard of Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, 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 yeah. That does a lot of your job for you. You don't have to explain what the show is to all of your kids. I think the other thing that makes this really popular with schools is that there are a lot of female leads. And... For a long, long time, this was one of the shows with a lot of female leads. That's so true. Uh, yeah. We're getting a lot better with that now in the world of musical theater. But the world of musical theater, in a lot of ways, has been a, a subtly chauvinistic kind of writing setting, as I imagine a lot of literature in contemporary society has been. But 
that is difficult from an educator perspective because girls show up to audition. It's just a a way that theater has panned out, at least in America, and I imagine in other places too. When it comes to choosing shows and you're looking at the kind of cast demographic, so much is cut off to you because you're like, well, that's just not fair. At the end of the day, that is inappropriate <laughs> because it's got one female lead. You don't want to set yourself up for failure. You're also, ostensibly as an educator, you're trying to do your best to serve your student population. And so you do yourself no favors if you don't pick a show that you can cast people in. And it can, it can be so difficult to find that many good males. I don't know about you guys over there, but musical theatre doesn't cry out manly men coming. <laughs> Which I want to change, Jimmy! It's the worst thing in the world! Of course you do. I know. It's, it is. It is really, really bad. If you are suddenly a only mildly interested straight man who has only been vaguely considering auditioning for a musical and you've stumbled upon this podcast go audition for a musical right now this is this is your calling this is the <laughs> thing that you've been pondering over tell them jim and tommy sent yeah you. exactly perhaps bringing it back a little bit it is interesting to me that so many high schools do fiddler because there are girls because i think this show says interesting things about being a teenage girl. A lot of it is about empowering teenage girls. I think there's something very much that every teen girl can relate to in this. It's the same as, oh, mom won't give me the keys to the car to go out on Sunday night. Oh, my milkmaker dad is upset that I don't want to marry Laser Wolf. And what I love as well is that between the three daughters, there's different degrees of that. So if you're like, if you're like kind of rebellious, you're like, I'm a Zytel. But if you're way out there, you know what I mean, getting tatted to your forehead and stuff, you are full on Hava. This is your BuzzFeed, which of Tevia's daughters are you? Yeah, exactly. We should make that. BuzzFeed, if you're listening. God forbid you end up being one of the other two. What are their names? Oh God, I don't think they have names. <laughs> I actually don't. I don't think they've got names. <laughs> I'm going to check that, but I'm pretty sure they're just the other two. The other two. That's probably it the other two. Oh yeah they do it's uh sprinza and bilka <laughs> sprinza sounds like a drink i'd order uh-huh and bilka sounds like what you do after you've had too many of them <laughs> <laughs> tevia's dream is one of my favorite musical theater production numbers in existence. What is it? It's so good. It's wonderful. I think because it has the story so well interwoven into it, it has jokes written into the music, like the cymbal crash punctuating each thing. When I saw it, and I don't know if this is standard at all, but, you know, it's a blessing on your house, basil tough, basil tough, da 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 and the symbols go off and it's always really loud and Tevia does this like, oh, you know, it gets like scared each time and it happens three times. The third time it happened, Tevia grabbed the pillow off of his bed and held it between the symbols and the symbols <laughs> didn't crash and it brought the house down. It was the funniest Brilliant. thing in the world. It's a wonderful combination of funny and scary. Yeah. And I think funny and scary work so well together and we don't see them so successfully combined. It must be so fun to just want to write that and just be like, I've got a fun idea. It's fun because it makes you feel like a smart audience member because you're the only one who's in on it. Uh-huh. Tevia is lying 
and the whole thing is a big lie and you get to see you know you are a step ahead of the characters you get to watch him like try and make it up as he goes along it's just wonderful and then frumacera comes in frumacera do yourself a favor never type into google frumacera high school productions because there are some not so great ones one of my best friends played frumacera it what is a theater role it's wonderful it must be up there with a lot of people's desires i always wonder this because it's an interesting choice did they do the on the shoulders or did they fly her neither what'd they do she came out of the bed oh <laughs> yeah it's wonderful see there's so many options there my favorite frumacera which is a weird thing to have most people have like favorite glindas i have a favorite frumacera well yes my favorite frumacera was on the most recent tuple tour and his name is sean patrick doyle right okay he's a contratenor beautiful lovely high voice and does the whole thing and it's like and if you marry laser wolf you will be it's wonderful oh well done okay yeah i'll put it in the show notes there's a, a a great video of of him performing and he is stunning and beyond fabulous and a wonderfully interesting choice a very interestingly progressive choice for a musical seeped in religious tradition to do from a sarah in drag yeah well that's that's a discussion that we're gonna need to have probably in another podcast because it's huge at the moment the whole men take away female roles and you know what it links right back to what we were literally just discussing about they're not being female roles mm -hmm. and then the men are taking them in london at the moment we've got a production of importance of being earnest david sushi is playing lady bracknell and the world is up in arms because <laughs> how dare he i will be interested to hear what you have to say about this more because that is while it may be a super contemporary trend for a long time, that was just the mode. That was all of Shakespeare's time. Men played women all the time. Mm -hmm. It was hilarious. It's written into the plays that it's funny jokes. Yeah. And it is only in the past century and a half where women have been on stage, which is great. Like, absolutely, we shouldn't go back. But <laughs> it's, it is an interesting thing. You know, it's one of those things where people be like, oh, this new change that is happening. Like, no, we're, ju we're just, we're regressing. We're not deciding something new. Yeah, you can imag you imagine my thoughts. I'm sure. I'm sure. I am not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, Sean Patrick Doyle as Frumacera is wonderful. Honestly, just go, if you've never seen Fiddler, just watch Tevye's Dream first. And then make an estimation in your head as to what the show's going to be like. Can you imagine? You're like, God, this is great! This is like a Steve Martin comedy or something. Like. That's like telling someone, so you know nothing about Oklahoma, go watch the Dream Ballet first. Exactly. But that's, do you know what? That's what I love about Tevye's Dream, is it's just kind of, <laughs> it is laughing in the face of these rnh dream sequences and that's good because that is moving away from it and that's saying the dream ballet i'm sure did we talk about this recently was it me and you that were talking about this uh i made a twitter post about dream ballets recently there was one in bye bye birdie that i had never heard about before How was it that i feel like i've, I've spoken to someone in the world maybe about it might have been us recently. i i have a i have a morbid fascination with the existence and then subsequent cutting of dream ballets yes. in musical theater i think it was you but it, in a way that is kind of the world being like Okay, great. This is what we should really be doing now because people have had it. It's wonderful because that's the problem with dream ballets. Dream ballets existed in Oklahoma because 
people weren't ready to put all their eggs in the musical theater basket. They were like, we need a little bit of real art to put in this thing in case the rest of it fails. So what's real art? How about some ballet? And it's like this non-trustworthy thing yeah. of not believing in your own art. I think it's funny that Jerry Robbins goes from West Side Story, the Somewhere Ballet, into Tev history. There's the Somewhere Ballet in West Side Story. There's the Dream Ballet in Oklahoma. There's the How to Kill a Man Ballet in Bye Bye Birdie. Oh god, there's so many. There's a, an awful drunken ballet in the Pajama Game that gets cut. Uh. There don't that i so i've been in a production of the pajama game before me too who did you play i was heinzy i had no role oh i'm not bitter <laughs> who were you going for <laughs> if you could go back who would you want to be oh of course heinzy it's wonderful role why wouldn't you i had one line I was man. Uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story. I'm excited. We're gonna we're gonna put it in. People the internet the internet is gonna know. Jimmy is okay. bitter. Did you hear the cracking of my knuckles in there? I, I did. Yeah. If I didn't, I'll I'll put in some really gross some like knuckle extra sound effects. Yeah. Like knuckle cracking. So so this was my first year of university. I had just come off the back of being in high school and you know, doing quite well in shows there. So I was all I was like, right, let's go for musical theatre here. And they were doing the pajama game and I had no idea what it was. I was like, right, okay, so I did my research. I was like, okay, I want this role. I'm going to go for it. So I learned all the songs. For some reason, I decided to audition with Being Alive from Company. I'm a bass, by the way, just to put that one out there. Uh So I dropped the key about 90 semitones, but that's fine. But basically, to picture it, picture this to put in a (laughs) reference, right? Uh, This was um, on the back of my emo phase, my little emo rebellion phase. Naturally, naturally. So I'm going to put in a show note. Uh, I'm not even going to show you this until the show notes are up. A picture of me in my emo days. Oh, I'm so excited. We'll, we'll have to vote. I'll put in a picture of me as Heinze, both to rub it in your face. Yep. And so the audience members can compare which is more embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to win. Uh, <laughs> so there was emo auditioning for the pajama game and it was one of those things like the the college didn't match the cuffs necessarily in terms of my personality and what i look like um but that's just me i'm, I'm an enigma <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you know got cast casting course which was fine you know i'm it was first year and it was my first year so i didn't expect anything but i was very happy to be there the guy that played Heinze was great so good so that's fine I'm, i wasn't bitter the bitterness grew as the rehearsals progressed uh-huh. and you know we'd be kind of going into rehearse a, a scene and there'd be assorted ensemble roles and everyone get picked you know and here's little emo me just kind of sitting there on the sideline getting nothing Aww. okay nothing it got to us rehearsing uh-huh. one of the last scenes uh-huh. okay you know the precursor scene to seven and a half cents yes so do you, you remember that scene well the precursor scene because it's so vital to the whole show the one role in that scene which is so vital is the role of man uh-huh workman i think Work it's called uh-huh. specifically there was our director all geared up ready to give it to someone else and jimmy the diva <laughs> started to grow and i was like no sorry just to say <laughs> just to say i actually i'm i'm the only person in the whole show that doesn't have a solo line i know that's awful but that's unfair <laughs> And then the director said, good, get out. He's like, anyway. Uh, so, <laughs> no, he, so he 
thankfully let me uh-huh. say this line, okay? Uh-huh. Now, obviously, it's of so much importance. It's a vital, vital line. I remember it well. I'm, you remember I'm so it so ex- well. I'm excited to hear your delivery of it because you, of you, how well I You can well tell that I'm building it. up to this amazing <laughs> delivery of this line, okay? And it really, it changed the whole show. Right, without it. So I can understand his deliberation as, as you know, why to give me that responsibility. It's, it's a pivotal line. You don't want to throw that away. On I come onto the stage and I say, This'll wake them up! <laughs> you're, you're right, that's... Yep. Rupturous applause. That's an impor- important line. <laughs> People were crying. It was that weird, it was weird because it was very traditional, like, roses right. being tossed onto the yeah. stage. And I was like, yeah. guys, it's not opera. Please, please be seated. You, you had to, like, wave your hands down at them, like, no, that's enough, stop, stop. I did I did a sort of a, a Patti LuPone-style bow mid-performance. Men were crying, women had their babies on the spot. Literally, so many births, and a lot of people then named their children after me. But that's understandable. I'm totally that's, fine with that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that was that. <laughs> Still not better. It's been what? <laughs> Seven years? I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Well, Jimmy, we will do our own production of the pajama game. Do you want to know a story of hope? Did, yeah, absolutely. I went on to become the president of that society. <laughs> And it was your motto, this'll wake them up? Yes. <laughs> it should have been my campaign speech. <laughs> no, I, I cut my hair. That's what it was. <laughs> the moral of the story, you can't be emo on a stage. As a beautiful, stunning story. And it completely ties back to Fiddler. <laughs> uh-huh. Because um, Tevye wakes up from... The dream. From his dream. I see what you did there. That was stunning. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, we've been talking a lot about Hamilton because we like that show. Because that's really the actual name of our podcast. Hamilton, the musical, the podcast. It's Hamilton's influence on history. (laughs) Because it's there. No, um, one of the things I love about um, Le-Manuel was one of the first things I, I kind of found out about him was uh, obviously he's a, a big musical theater geek and one of his big roles if not his first role was Tevye really yeah 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 ah. um and he uses that as kind of a proponent speech to say this is why amateur theater is so great because in what world could Lin-Manuel ever play Tevye exactly <laughs> you know a Puerto Rican boy yeah playing a old Jewish man no that's exactly why amateur and educational theater is so wonderful because like you get to play against your type you get to play against your age you get to play against yeah. your gender and it's all just fine it's part of the part of the game and that because I had to kind of use that a lot as evidence for when people were saying why are you doing in the heights in Scotland why are you doing that? And I was like, well, because we can and no one else has done it yet. So yeah. it's a good show. Let's go watch it. Exactly the same reason to do Fiddler on the Roof at a Catholic school. The, if you think about um, Heights, mm-hmm. and um, maybe, maybe helps in a little way, but the character of Isnavi kind of relates in a big way to Tevye. Even just in structure. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like the opening in the Heights. And Fiddler on the Roof both begin with the narrator protagonist coming out and going, Welcome to this town. Here are the things you have to know. Exactly. Here's these people. Right. Here's the hair salon. Here's the blacksmith. Like... This is what we believe in, and this is what we're fighting for. And then... This is the musical about our town. And then at the end of it, it's like, here's how our town has changed. And it's sad, and it's hopeful. 
that's really interesting. In the Heights and Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. They even, they both have a preposition and the in their title. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Can I tell you something I wrote on our show notes and then... My friends laughed at me about it, and then I fixed it. Uh-huh. So I I was just doing, like, a brain dump on, you know, things I wanted to talk about at Fiddler on the Roof, and I wrote on the notes, Fergie. And I was talking with my friends about Fiddler on the Roof and the things we're going to talk about. And I said, and then we're going to talk about Fergie. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know Fergie. She sings that song from Fiddler on the Roof. And they're like, Gwen Stefani? Gwen Stefani, yeah. I was like, oh, uh-huh. Gwen Stefani. Not Fergie. No. Very different people. But Gwen Stefani sings If I Were a Rich Girl. No, 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 Yep. Which I'm just always disappointed that she doesn't do the armpit dance. I hope she has done it at some point. Do you know what I mean? I'd love that. Everyone's done the armpit dance at some point in their life. Exactly. If she, like, toured out to, like, Israel or something, if she just, like, brought out as a token there. Do you know what? That's my first, that was my first experience of Fiddler. Really? Yeah, was that song. In fact, yeah, let's talk about... We've not really talked about the songs. Let's talk about the songs. Yeah. Let's get some structure in this darn thing. Absolutely. So I, what I love about Fiddler on the Roof, there are songs you remember and songs you don't remember. Like a lot uh-huh. of, like a lot of um, other musicals. Like, yeah. I only know Miracle of Miracles because I learned it as an audition song once. But I don't think anyone... And even right now, I don't know if I could recall the words to Miracle of Miracles other than Wonder of Wonder, Wonder Miracle of Wonder Miracles. Miracles. <laughs> yeah. Some, something, something, once again. But conversely, I, I can hear the bottle dance in my head and there aren't even words to that. Yeah, very true. Did you, when, when you weren't in it, no, you've seen it. No, no, I've seen it. Did they proper bottle dance or did they stick a little bottle on a hat? I, so this is something I think has been true 100% of the time. I think every bottle dance anyone has ever seen involved Velcro in some way. In some way, yeah. I think just some people are better at hiding it. Interesting. Because it's devastating if a bottle falls off in the middle of the bottle dance. I know. It would be like that awful YouTube video where they pull on Wendy's flying cord instead of Peter's flying cord. Like, it just ruins the whole show. Oh, have you not seen that one? <laughs> it's awful. I always feel bad laughing at it. Okay, some... that'll be in the show notes, because I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, no, someone should, you should watch it in the show notes. It's this, it is community theater to the core. Oh, no. There's like a baby crying in the background. Oh, great. It's the very end, and they mean to pull Peter Pan's flying cord, but instead Wendy... Who is asleep in the bed? They yank oh on it, and she goes flying out of the bed. It's like, ah! that's the funniest thing in the world. I'm excited. I'm gonna listen to your point and think about it for a second. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because I'm me, but I remember a lot of the songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they, maybe I'm there's wrong. that from Act One. Yeah, pretty much them all. Huh? Maybe. Yeah. But then okay. Act Two, less so. But then there's not really many. Well, I also think that is a 
part of the musical theater experience. It's the beginning of Act Two struggle. Like, how do you get out of the cliffhanger without ending the musical right now? Yeah. A lot of Act Two is kind of filler, always. But then you've got... No, I'm, I'm disagreeing with myself. <laughs> you know, Do You Love Me is right there. Do You Love Me. It's a beautiful song. A lot of duet songs don't... They start and end at the same point in, like, the tactics and the escalation... Or they're built on counterpoint or like direct competition. Mm-hmm. Do You Love Me is, is more complex and nuanced than that. Mm. And it, it, is a, it is wonderful to watch and feel Tevya come to this realization of like he's never thought of this or asked this question before. And how he tries to communicate that to Golda through all the things she responds with. It's just wonderful. Yeah. It's about so much more than love. I mean, it's, it's about a very, very particular kind of love and way of showing that that is so tied up in the rest of the changing culture of this world they're in it is it is tevia's revelation song mm-hmm. he's never thought with all of his daughters about whether or not they love their betrothed or not betrothed and for him to finally come to that realization of oh my god what was this like for me what is this like for my wife we're so far you know the ship has sailed so much and i've never thought about this it's just lovely isn't it that's what mm. they this musical is a musical of beautiful beautiful songs like very delicately beautiful songs the most delicate and beautiful i would argue is havala because that destroys me that is proper moving musical theater do you think, because we talked about this, I think the most successful songs in musical theater are songs that spit out the character in a different spot from where they started. Mm-hmm. Do you think Tevia changes by the end of Havala? What I think Havala is, is it's like a, it's as if she has died. It's as if he's singing about the daughter that he knew. Mm-hmm. And the little dance montage as well, it's literally as if he's like, ah, I remember that girl. Ah, it's just so, it's so beautiful, and it's so ah, just downplayed. There's no big moment in, for, obviously, for Tevya, who's very, you know, rousing. To have this beautiful little tiny solemn ballad, ah, it's just destructive. And the choreography is beautiful as well. I don't know what what it is about it. It sticks out in my mind, and it goes against form. I mean, that is the part in Act Two where we're in. You know, we're building, 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 and then about to resolve. But to go so far down and so demure and yeah, so like such a private song is interesting. Yeah, you know, it is. It is neat that clearly it's successful. I, I guess I can't get over the fact that Tevia doesn't change his mind. Do you hate that? I, as a person, I don't like that. Uh-huh. As an appreciator of art. I think that's what makes it very successful. <laughs> it's so bitter because I think that's it. And that's why I like the idea of Tevya being your typical protagonist and don't even question it because it, it affects you as an audience member. It makes you stop and, you know, you're all along, you're siding him, you're siding with him, you're siding with him, you're laughing with him and you're, he's the best guy. Look at this lovely man. Um, and he makes this decision and you're kind of on that ride and it's, it's as if you're just like sitting with him and you're like, it's awkward now. Yeah, you know, it's, oh, I'm still gonna listen to you, and but it's, it's awkward. And I love stuff like that. I love. I think it's like meaty because you're like, ah, it's it's so challenging for you as an audience member. I love really hitting an audience member over the head. That's challenging writing. It leaves you thinking. It makes the piece important more than just a fluffy, 
you know, night out at the theatre. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be people out there who will 100% side with Tevye and be like, nope, to be honest with you, that's a betrayal. I'm not a father, so I can't fathom what that would be like. It's so it's so challenging the more I think about it. Like, I'm trying to relate it to something that I could empathize with. But that's what's so wonderful about its parabolic nature. Yeah, yeah. No, para, parabolicious Parabolicious, pardon me. Parabolicious <laughs> nature is that you, while you may not agree with Tevia, you understand. Yeah. You've been set up completely to understand why this is the line too far. Uh-huh. Which is what makes it wonderful. And what makes it interesting that it is presented, because we traditionally associate parables with, like, and the moral of the story is, but what is the moral of Fiddler on the Roof? I know, be progressive, but not that progressive. Right, exactly. <laughs> or is, is the moral, like, things change and we deal? Probably, mm. because it's called Fiddler on the Roof. You'll always be balancing the metaphor of the whole thing. Now let's get metaphorical, let's get deep. One of the things, I, when I was watching it last night, I was just thinking, so obviously at the start, it talks about the fiddle on the roof, what's the thing that keeps you up there? Tradition. Yeah. And I, I mean, I might just be literally just stating the point of the show here, but <laughs> obviously as he goes through the show, he takes away from tradition. What happens but... Anatevka gets ruined when they all start, you know, I mean, it's so, it's chalk and cheese break beside each other. They all start mixing and dancing because Perchik's progressive. And then suddenly the whole village is destroyed. <laughs> I, I think it is important. I think the fiddler on the roof metaphor is larger than what Tevya makes it out to be. While he says what keeps the fiddler on the roof is tradition, uh-huh. I think he's wrong. Okay. I think in his mind at the beginning of the show, he's right. But there's a reason the show doesn't end with a reprise of tradition, you know? Uh-huh. There, there is something so elegant about the metaphor of a fiddler on the roof. The idea of playing a song on a fiddle evokes this, like, maintaining of tradition. We have this beautiful thing that we want to keep up. We want to give this music to the world and have it loft through the air. And it's really important, and that's why we're on top of a roof. We're not just standing in the town square. But with being on the roof comes the unsteadiness of the world we're standing on. Yeah. Like, that can move at any moment. And how do we continue to keep our balance up here while still focusing on the music? How do we make sure we can continue to play this music? I mean, there are all sorts of evocative images in our world. They've pervaded through art, and everyone thinks, you know, this musical's based on various paintings, which there are varying accounts about, but of people, specifically violins, playing them in worlds of destruction and worlds of war and like, mm-hmm. but we still have the music even in this unsettling world. And that is what I th- why I think it is a stronger metaphor than what Tevye makes it out to be. Yep. It, is, it is about how do we adapt ourselves to maintain something that we can call tradition. Yeah. How do we keep our balance on this roof and still continue to play something we're okay with as music? I think it it is, and I would want to go back and listen to it, but it is important mm-hmm. in the musical where string music comes in, where string music is like that. It is, Interesting. It is a yeah, yeah, yeah. very overt metaphor used throughout the thing. I think one of the biggest ones, because he is, the Fiddler is featured at various points, you know, as like spotlight on Fiddler. One of the biggest ones is in Havala. And that's, to me, that's 
really big. He's dancing away with Havala. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, like you can do some wonderful things. The formula kind of goes, Tevye does something against tradition, bad things happen. And then Chava happens where he, he sticks on it. And then bad things still happen. You, you know, I mean, is that a, a bigger thing where it's saying, look, it's not the kind of thing you can control? Which is a big religious argument there. like, Or is it the sort of thing we're saying, like, bad things happen no matter what. Yeah. And it is up to you to find the steady ground in your life mm-hmm. to keep you grounded. To find the tradition in the world you want to live in. But that's... Be- but Tevye, when he makes that decision, he says, no, this is too far. It's too much for me to, to deal with. No, Hava. So that's him finding his ground in a way. But yet, he doesn't get any plaudits from it. It's not like, good. It destroys him. Like, it is It is not a happy decision by any means. It's, it's a bad thing for everyone. And then Anatevka still is ruined. I don't... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a Tevya-style struggle right now <laughs> myself. Because I can't work out what what that is. I can't work out why. And I think that's the, it's, it's the kind of thing I would need to kind of sit and, and muse on a little bit more. So this is why me as a person struggles with this, but me as an appreciator of art loves it. Because it, it makes you think and question, why did Tevye make this decision to stick to tradition at this point? Exactly. There is no... We're, we're in a world of religion. We're in a world of belief. There is no explicit verbose justification yeah the answer is because god because deity because this is how it is because tradition and it, i guess it is that quite but he doesn't maybe is that something i would want or do i like that's not there like that he doesn't ever say he never says like why have you forsaken me he never says that at the end when anatevka goes i would argue that he tevia is cast in a different religious light from the beginning because the point of if i were a rich man is why have you forsaken me from the very beginning in the most minor of ways? But also, it's like a, why have you forsaken me? Oh no, I understand. It would be better if you hadn't, but I understand. But I think that's fine, because that's that's religion. You yeah. know, everyone who is religious, I'm not religious, but I, I appreciate it and I really am fascinated by it. People with really strong religious beliefs, and they, you know, I mean, they go through that struggle of, why is this happening? I understand I'm going to stay strong in my faith. I think it it is a musical 100% about that. You know, substitute tradition in for religion. They're all the same. They're different words for the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all come from the same place. Pre-existing just because standards, traditions. And cast in this wonderful, dichotic, gray area light... That like you know what is it from the very beginning like we are we are a town where everyone gets along you know or one time mm-hmm. he'd sold him a horse but it ended up being a mule but we've all gotten over that and they haven't gotten over that and they immediately argue about it and it one hundred percent embodies all of these traditions and these sayings and the these morals that they have about their life like we say it is this way and it is always this way except when it isn't well that's i think that's the rabbi and and we always get like rabbi have you got a blessing for this and rabbi 
what what should we do you know i mean and they always kind of do look to the rabbi for yeah that that counsel yeah um which sometimes isn't, isn't always there mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm still i'm going through a little existential crisis as i think about all of this and i'm just trying to work it out it's great i think that's one of the powers of this musical is you can watch it and and not end up in this existential world but the moment you open yeah. that door in your mind it's big and then the wonderful thing about it is you know, as we've said, neither of us are Jewish, but so much of this is couched in the Jewish faith. It is yeah. a religion of rules and tradition and standard. There is no negotiating with the rules that have slowly been adapted and changed throughout the years. Yeah. And those those don't work. They don't mesh together, but in reality exist together. Yeah. As embodied through this musical set in a land far, far away. It's wonderful. That's it is it is the success of this show. And I think that's the thing, you don't have to be religious to get it. Yeah. At all. Because everyone goes through that yeah. turmoil of like, you know, everyone has a sense of right and wrong, which is the majority of people. What is right and wrong and why am I being right? What's the value? I think that is why it is wonderful that this is set up as a parable. If you pulled out the the fourth wall breaking Tevya in this, which they didn't in the movie, which is a very easy decision to make for movies sometimes, yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't have the same impact if it is just a look into this window of this old time long past yeah then people who aren't jewish people who aren't religious people who don't have these sort of things can't find the something to relate to it's just this kind of observational exercise of look at this old place but once it becomes a parable once it becomes a observe our little town here are the rules we have then that invites you as an audience member to put in your, you know, tradition becomes your Mad Libs. Like, what is your fill-in-the-blank here? It allows you to recast all of these things in your light, while also at the same time observing them in the light of the characters of the show. It's it's a, mm-hmm. a wonderful stew of all these feelings. Honestly, the more that we've talked about it, the more I'm like, it's my favourite show! <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just, it's really good. And yeah. honestly, if anyone listens to our podcast who isn't an advocate of musical theatre, which I don't think will happen, um, <laughs> you just have to show them something like this, right? Yeah. And you just have to say, look, get, yeah, they're songs, okay, that's fine, but... It's so thought-provoking. That is even the buy-in of Fiddler on the Roof, and I think this contributes to excess even more so. It is the mm-hmm. whole the discussion of diegetic and non-diegetic music. Fiddler on the Roof dance is a really fine line, and it's wonderful. Because it's called Fiddler on the Roof, because from the very beginning, Tevye's like, it's like a fiddler on the roof. He's over there. See him? He exists in real life. He's that guy playing the fiddle on the roof. But the fiddler on the roof is a metaphor from the very beginning and is an overt metaphor and you know about it and so you have this wonderful fine line of like are we singing and dancing because it's a wedding or are we singing and dancing because it's a musical yeah are we listening to this real legitimate guy who plays a violin standing on a shack uh-huh. or is it the string music playing in Tevye's mind that represents the tradition that is ever present in his life? And the answer is it's both. Yeah. But that is the buy-in of this musical. It is a musical from the very beginning. Fiddler on the Roof titled Fiddler on the Roof doesn't work as a non-musical. You can't do Fiddler on the Roof without music. And it's great. Because of the atrocities that are going on at the moment in Syria... The world is looking at these refugees 
everyone is kind of going through a struggle of oh, what can I like what can I do fiddler is a, it's it, it, effectively it ends up being a story about refugees it's, it's the backstory it's the backstory of refugees it's it is contemporary today and that is the genius and the thoughtfulness of the whole thing that it is written and creative created in such a way that is still explicitly relevant today I know, which is a, a, tra- a tragedy almost that that's the thing that a lot of people are going to take from it is, oh gosh, that's how these people are. Because, you know, there's so much at the moment where people are just kind of forgetting that these refugees are, are people, like, and they've, they've just lived a life for their whole lives. They've had their tradition, they've had all of these things they've gone through here. Exactly, and now that that world has just been rocked. At the end of the show, that's what you're left with. You're like, where are you going? Like, what the hell are you going to do? Yeah, what happens next? That's what all of these poor people are thinking. And in a way, that's why it's going to be so relevant at the moment. But it's you're right, it's, it's sad that that's the the thing that this is the 1900s why are we still having a similar problem in 2015 i like, agree that it that it is sad i think that is the it is wonderful that fiddler on the roof exists as a kind of documentation of this without it it is a memory lost to time it would seem like syrian refugees then suddenly are this new thing yeah exactly but because we have the existence of a piece of popular culture that very clearly documents yeah. this happening and points out all the subtle problems with it back in the 60s back in the turn of the last century and then we can draw parallels to it today like that is the purpose of art to a t like that's chapter one art study document history so we don't forget and can remember the not just the explicit historical facts of it, but the the subtle human emotional facts of it, and then to create a vehicle to cope and deal with and create discussion, and you know hopefully move towards some not solution is always the wrong word, but some some sort of I know plan or yeah like just discussion itself is helpful, and that's what art does. I know that it almost sounds a little bit trivial to say that, oh, a musical is going to you know change people's things, but no, I'm sorry, it will. Stranger things have happened, and the worst choice is always inactivity. And I don't think that's the reason why they've decided to helm this, but I don't think they've said, look, there's a crisis, let's put this on. It's just a weird happenstance. But there's always subtleties in why certain musicals come to the forefront of human consciousness at a certain mm-hmm. time. There's a reason they revived hair however many couple years ago. Yeah. There's a reason these sort of things happen. And whether they're explicit in the forefront of the producers and the directors' minds doesn't matter as much. There's something in the zeitgeist, there's something in the air or in the water that is, that is making these themes relevant again. Yeah. I like to think, at least, that it's not just... People like, oh, people will come see Fiddler and that'll make us a lot of money. And that's the thing, is it is it's one of these shows that it's got a lot of reverence. There's a few out there. When it's to me, it is a really interesting thing because I, I think, as you could even glean just by listening to our conversation, artistic types, theatrical types, musical theater types are not the most reverent, are not the most religious, are not the most God fearing. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of baggage about that and reasons for that that are, you know, worth a whole thesis in art history. Uh-huh. But the people who perform Saturday night shows aren't the people going to Sunday morning church. Yeah. 
And it is interesting to me that, nevertheless, Fiddler on the Roof, a musical explicitly about reverence and religion, is such a popular title in the world of theater. Yep. No, I think it's true. I think compared to the last two, obviously Sweeney's fantastic, Ham's fantastic. We chose to do Fiddler because we didn't know it as well. Yeah, this might be a surprise to some of the listeners, but this podcast was a risk. And who knows? Maybe it didn't turn out well. I know, maybe people are like, maybe this hasn't made any crap. sense at all. We'll find out in the edit. <laughs> but but Jimmy and I did go into this trying to pick a musical that I at least from my perspective, I felt I should know more about. Yeah, should know more about. It's not one that I've I've yet to obsess over Fiddler, but I'm ready to now. <laughs> I feel I have. Do you know? <laughs> I feel over the course of this hour. That is why I never want to be a critic and always want to be a fan of musical theater. Yeah. Because even the worst, most awful, hated pieces of musical theater, if I sat down and listened to it and thought about it, I could probably find a podcast's worth of things to exactly. talk about. Exactly. Exactly, which is why next week we're going to be talking about Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. Jimmy. Hey, Tommy. We thought it would be fun. I'm telling you this like you don't know, but we thought this would be fun. (laughs) This would be fun to. I just woke up. (laughs) What are we talking about today? (laughs) We thought it would be fun to give our listeners a tease about what musical we're going to talk about next time on the podcast that's interesting wouldn't that be fun so i have this kind of quiz question here that if you know the answer to this you will be able to figure out what show we're going to talk about next week does that sound like fun next week that's good and it also means that we're prepared it also means that we are more prepared than we have ever been we're evolving yeah (laughs) what's the question you ready you ready for this all right i'm born ready about our next podcast A Supreme Court justice described the source material for this musical as prurient. What musical? What word was that? It's, that's prurient. It's P-R-U-R-I-E-N-T. The Supreme Court justice described the source material for this musical as prurient. What musical? We'll talk about it next week. Next week. Very exciting. It's going to be great. Um... As usual, uh, please tell us how we did. There'll be a, what you a link to the Reddit post where you can comment stuff. Come on over. Have a blast. Exactly. I promise I'm going to get really existential this time around. There's <laughs> <laughs> be like pages upon pages of me musing about life. That's a guarantee. Jimmy's going to come back in a couple weeks and have completely converted religions and, and just be entirely a different person. I have an alarm going somewhere. I'm going to go find out what that's about. I assume this is not an alarm, Jimmy. I, I assume there's just people playing music in your apartment. Oh, sugar. Um, do you hear it? <laughs> yes, I can. Can. Oh, can. Isn't it pretty? It is um, pretty. I'm so tangled up. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it's coming from my phone, which is right here. <laughs> I think it would. I think it would be more fun if there was just a man with a xylophone standing behind you. He's like, "What? You want me to stop?"
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.